Welcome to the Breathful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking all about pumping. What should you look for in a breast pump? Is it ever too early to pump? What's the easiest way to build your stash? What about if you need to increase your milk production or are exclusively pumping? Nancy Morbacher answers these questions and many more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding and their free quick start video which shows you a simple technique to prevent nipple pain and the easiest way to help your newborn latch and for you to produce enough milk for your baby. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty mamas and mamas-to-be, and mighty dads and dads-to-be. As always, thank you for listening and for all the love you give the show. If you find that this podcast is making a difference in your life, then one of the easiest ways you can support it is by leaving a written review on iTunes. That really helps. Thank you if you've already done that. And if you want to learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, and more, then go to birthfall.com. All right. Today, I am super, super excited to have the amazing Nancy Moorbacher back on the show. We originally did an episode way back early last year that focused on going back to work, breastfeeding and going back to work. So if you haven't listened to that one yet and you are going to back to work soon, then you might want to put that in your queue after you listen to this one. Uh, that one is episode number 26. To start us off on today's show, let me tell you a bit more about Nancy. Nancy Moorbacher began helping breastfeeding families as a volunteer in 1982 and became board certified as a lactation consultant in 1991. For 10 years, she founded and ran large ran a large private lactation practice. Nancy is the author of Breastfeeding Answers Made Simple and its pocket guide edition, which are used by breastfeeding specialists worldwide. Her troubleshooting guide for mothers, Breastfeeding Solutions, is now available as the groundbreaking Breastfeeding Solutions app, which is available both for Android and for uh, Mac. And in 2015, she released her tablet-based prenatal preparation program called Natural Breastfeeding for an Easier Start, which she developed with OB Dr. Teresa Nesbitt. And as you know, Nancy and Teresa are the incredible forces behind the main sponsor of this show, naturalbreastfeeding.com, which I love and endorse wholeheartedly, not because they sponsor the show, but because it's the easiest, simple way. It's a fantastic technique that I've been using for years to help my own doula clients get off to a great breastfeeding start. So I know it works. In 2008, the International Lactation Consultant Association officially recognized Nancy's contributions to the field of breastfeeding by awarding her her designation of FILCA, which is Fellow of the International Lactation Consultants Association. Nancy also worked for a national corporate lactation program and a major breast pump company, so she probably knows more about breast pumps than you would ever want to know. Nancy, welcome. It's so lovely to have you back on the show. Hi, Adriana. It's a great pleasure to be here. Oh, yes. And you've been traveling all around the world. And, and I, I'm always, I always love vicariously following what you do and, and pretending I'm following you along. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I've got, gotten to see a lot of countries this year and met a lot of wonderful people. So I, I consider myself very lucky to have this breastfeeding community around the world that welcomes me wherever I go. Mm, yes, that is that is a fantastic feeling of, of that, you know, the birth professionals supporting each other. And, and it is. I love it. I feel it, too, even without having to move anywhere. <laughs> so today we were going to... I thought, I thought we'd talk about pumping because there's a lot of like little questions and logistics that that people want to know. Can we start with that, with the logistics of the pump itself? What, sure. What do moms need to know about it? 
Well, you know, I, I think probably one of the more important things to know is how to select a pump based on your situation. Because oftentimes people will ask the question, well, what's a good pump that I should get? But the real question is, how do you plan to use your pump? And that helps to guide what sort of a pump you might select. Okay. So what are different scenarios that you would think of? Like, okay, let's say that you're trying to build a stash. How would you okay. go to select your pump? Well, it, I would say I would ask the question a little bit differently. Um, the, que- the question I usually ask is, how often do you plan to pump once your baby's born? So, for example, if a, if a mother uh, was planning to return to work full time, that would be a mother who was going to be pumping every day uh, and pumping often. And her needs would be very different from a mother, for example, who was staying at home with her baby, who was just going to pump occasionally because she wanted to go out for dinner or, you know, some other reason. So the, really the frequency of pumping is the main criteria criterion that I use when I'm helping moms select a pump. Okay. And so then how does that criteria affect what pump is selected? What, like what types okay. of pumps are, pumps are out there? All right. Well, we have a number of different basic types. Like, for example, there's what we call a manual pump. And a manual pump is one that a mother runs with her own muscle power. So that might be a pump that she squeezes with her hand and that creates the suction and release. Um, Another type of pump is what we would call an automatic pump and that's one where you turn it on and the pump automatically generates the suction and release. Uh, And you have the choice of a, a double pump, which is a pump that you can pump both breasts at the same time, or you can get a single pump in which you pump uh, each breast separately. So some of it will depend, again, on the use. So, for example, if a mother is going back to work full time, uh, one of the things I, I someone asked me recently this question, you know, what what should I look for in a pump? And there are many, many brands now. You know, it used to be there are really just two brands that you might consider as being really high quality. But there really are a lot more brands now. So instead of talking about brands, I usually talk about features. So, for example, a mother who's going to be um, going back to work full time, she definitely is going to want a pump that has at least a one year warranty on the motor because she's going to be using it uh, so frequently that if she doesn't have that, then chances are the pump isn't going to last for the, for that even that baby. So that's, I would say, at the very top of the list. Mm, that's a great recommendation. I hadn't even thought about that. Um, what about in terms of the strength of the pump does that matter also depending on what you're like if a mom's going back to work then is it better for her to select a double pump instead of a single pump or and definitely make sure it's an automatic Uh uh-huh well I, i would say if a mother's going back to work full time a double pump would be number two on my list because uh that will cut in half the amount of time you spend pumping and actually, there's, I would say probably most women today do prefer a double pump for that reason. Because no matter why you're pumping, even if you're at home and you're just pumping to store milk, you know, for an occasional night out, you still don't really want to spend more time pumping than you have to. So, you know, I would say the vast majority of women do prefer a double pump for that reason. Although there is a percentage of women who hate double pumps because they, the way they put it is they feel like a cow. <laughs> so... Uh, And they prefer to pump one breast at a time. But like I say, the majority of moms, I think, really appreciate the time savings involved in double pumping. So that would be the second most important aspect. Um, Now, I would like to address your question about the strength of the pump, because that is a common question that mothers ask. But actually, that isn't something that really is a a consideration, because basically every pump that a mother can, can get is going to have a similar strength of suction uh, as a as a suction option. So that that isn't really one of the features that a mom looks for in a pump. Okay. What about in terms of the pump parts itself? Okay, like, well, that's I'm... good because you're getting to my number three uh-huh. recommendation for pump. Um, and that relates to pump fit. And fit is something that a lot of mothers aren't aware of. But the the piece that determines a pump fit is the the size of the opening that a mother's nipple goes into during pumping. And we call that the nipple tunnel. And the piece that the nipple tunnel is in goes by many different names. I I worked, as you mentioned in my introduction, I worked for a time 
uh, for actually eight, for eight years for a breast pump company. And I will tell you that different pump companies call this pump part by different names. And when I was on the phone with moms during my time with the pump company, they would call it by other other terms as well. Like sometimes they would call it the horn or the funnel. The breast pump companies call it things like breast shield or flange. But really what's important is the size of the opening. So for example, some pump companies, they only sell one size opening. And that's a problem because even if you're pumping occasionally, you want to have a pump that fits you. Because if, for example, your nipple is large enough that it rubs on the sides of the nipple tunnel during pumping, that is not only going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to squeeze your nipple and it's going to prevent the milk from coming out, which sort of defeats the purpose of pumping. So uh, some companies have different size openings that are available, and those are sold as a separate part. So moms can um, can purchase that, you know, like, for example, if they buy the pump with the standard size opening and they discover that that it's not large enough for them, they can buy that piece separately and get a larger size opening. So that would be, I would say, the third most important quality in a breast pump is that you do have size options. Okay. And I, I so getting deeper into that part, uh-huh. how can a mom know if the sizing is right? Okay. Well, actually, that's a fairly simple question to answer, fortunately. And that is when you're pumping, if your, your nipple is rubbing along the sides of the nipple tunnel, even if you've tried to center it, that's a sign that it's too small and you need to go larger. Is there a condition or a, a situation where it would be too large? Yes, actually there is. Uh, so if, if you're pumping and a lot of the areola, that's the, the colored area around the nipple, um, if a lot of that is being drawn in and that's uncomfortable, I would say more than about a quarter of an inch. Um, then that can be a problem as well, and it may be a sign that you need to go smaller. Another symptom of needing to go smaller is if your nipple is bouncing in and out of the nipple tunnel during pumping, that's a sign that you need to go smaller as well. Hmm. Interesting. Do you have a number four on your list? Um, Number four is what uh, relates to the the pump controls, and that is... uh, like some pumps, for example, only have one control dial where you can you turn it up and down, but you don't really get to control how fast or slow it goes. Um, most pumps do have variability in terms of the fast and the slow as well as the strong or the weak. Uh, so some pumps have two controls. Uh, they have a speed control and they have a suction control. And that is actually my favorite kind of pump because when you can control them both independently, then that allows you to customize your settings for your own body's response. Uh, some pumps are are made in such a way that you just have one dial, and they usually do uh, change the the uh, speed setting along with the suction setting, but it's, it's set according to averages, and not every mom is average. Uh, in fact, what the research has found is about half of women pump very well, just no matter what sort of a pumping pattern the pump generates, but that means half of women don't. And so uh, for some women, being able to set their suction and their speed uh, independently can be a very important part of effective pumping. What does that pumping, pa- like a, an effective pumping pattern look like? Well, when I say effective pumping pattern, what I mean by that is that a mother is getting the amount of milk expected during the pumping. In other words, it's effective in terms of the milk yields. And what it looks like is going to vary from mother to mother. So, for example, uh, when we set the suction dial, what's recommended, we, we have research on that um, that says you want to be on a very specific place on your suction dial when your milk begins to flow. Um, one thing that a lot of moms don't understand about pumping and about breastfeeding is that really it's not about how strong the suction is. A lot of moms think when they turn up their suction dial that the idea is you want to turn it up as high as you can stand it because they think that getting milk from a pump is like getting a drink through a straw, sucking a drink through a straw, that the stronger you suck, the more you get. But that's not actually how it works. Um, the way the milk flow happens is that uh, you have to trigger what's called a milk ejection, or some people call it a letdown. Um, and when a letdown or a milk ejection occurs in the breast, that 
that happens when there's a hormone, which is called oxytocin, is released, and that causes the muscles inside the breast to squeeze. And so the milk literally shoots out. So like, for example, if a mother's lying on her back and she has a milk injection, it's going to shoot up into the air like a fountain. Uh, you don't actually need suction in order to get the milk out of the breast. These muscles actually squeeze the milk out and, and the milk shoots out of the breast. So, for example, if a, if a mother has her suction up too high, that's going to cause her to tense up. And that will prevent the milk ejection from happening. So getting, having your suction up too high can be a real problem when you're pumping. Uh, but a lot of moms don't realize that. As I say, they kind of assume that having it high is where they need to have it. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and when you read, you know, you Google about it and you read, it does uh-huh. say bring it up to slowly to as like as long as up high up as it's comfortable. But right. that's a huge, that's a fantastic aha moment for me too, that yeah, you, the, the breast is the one doing the squeezing of the right. milk out. So what does, what does that mean for an individual mom who's sitting down to pump? Well, what it means is you turn your, you, it actually is as, early as possible during pumping, you turn it up to whatever's the highest level that's completely comfortable for you both during and after pumping. So in other words, uh, how you get there, this is how I recommend getting there, is you turn up the control until you reach a level where it feels slightly uncomfortable and then you back it off just enough so that you're completely comfortable. And if you do feel discomfort after pumping, then that's a sign you need to turn it down a little bit more. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So with, and I'm putting thoughts together in my mind here, but as you're pumping, does compressing the breast also help? You know how when mom, sometimes when you're breastfeeding and the milk is letting down and it's kind of slowing down, moms are, the recommendation is you could squeeze your breast just to help Uh get that milk out more. That's a really good, good, good point because Back when I first started in breastfeeding, we used to believe that the pump should do all the work. And when I worked for the pump company, it was very common for me to get calls from mothers who asked, uh, they, they would say, you know, I'm, I'm still able to express milk, hand express milk after I pump. Does this mean my pump is broken? And the answer to that question was no, that that's actually normal, that you would still be able to express some milk after pumping. But what we've actually learned in the years since then, uh, there was a researcher, her name is Dr. Jane Morton, who, uh, who did a study with mothers who were pumping milk for babies in the special care nursery. So these were mothers who, for example, had premature babies who would not be breastfeeding anytime soon and were establishing their milk production with a breast pump. And what she discovered, she had two groups that she looked at. One group, they had, had them just using the pump in the normal way. But then the second group, uh, they did a technique that she called hands-on pumping. And it was actually a very specific technique. Part of it did involve doing what you just described, which is compressing and such during pumping. But I'll, I'll go over what the actual technique was because I think, you know, if somebody wants to use this to get more milk from the breast, that they, you know, they'll want to have some specific recommendations. So uh, the way that it worked is that the mothers started off first by massaging their breast uh, just for a couple minutes, a minute or two, and then they would put the the double pump on and they would, uh, during the time that they were double pumping, they um, uh, they would also be compressing their breast. Uh, And then they, uh, when the, they started seeing less milk with the, with the double pumping. They would take the, the pieces off their breast and they would uh, do some more breast massage. The next step involved doing one breast at a time. And the mothers would either single pump and then really focus their hands on more uh, expression and s- compression and that's massage you know, while they were single pumping or Uh, Some mothers found it to be more effective to actually just do hand expression, using their hands to express out the milk. So whichever one of those two worked best for moms, then they would do that as the final step. And they would go back and forth from breast to breast one at a time um, until the milk flow essentially stopped. And this whole routine, all of these different steps, took on average about 25 minutes. Uh, But what happened was that the mothers in this hands-on pumping group were able to pump almost 50% more milk than the mothers who were using the pump alone. And not only that, but uh, 
in that study and in previous studies, mothers who used the pump alone and who were pumping only, oftentimes around three or four weeks, you know, the, the first three or four weeks, they would see an increase in their production, but then it would level off and even drop just a little bit. But the mothers in these in this hands-on pumping group, the, their production kept going up and up and up through the entire eight weeks of the study. And so it's that was a huge improvement in what we had been seeing before in these mothers who were who were pumping only for their babies. And so this this hands-on pumping technique is one that isn't just uh, helpful for these mothers, but it's also helpful, for example, for mothers who are going back to work or mother, mothers really who are pumping for any reason. Because what we've learned is that, it, that draining the breasts more fully like that with the hands as well as the pump can make a huge difference in milk yields. And it can also make a huge difference in terms of keeping up milk production in a mother who relies on pumping for that purpose. Mm, I love that recommendation. And I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of Jane, of Jane Morton's uh, videos. And I always recommend, the, the, I'll link it on the show notes, the one from well, Stanford University on hand expressing. Yeah, I actually, on my own uh, website, yeah. I have a blog post uh, called To Pump More Milk, Use Hands-On Pumping. And I can send you the link to that because that actually includes links to Jane Morton's videos as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Send me that and I'll, I'll put that on. And one thing that I was reminded while you were talking of the question of what you see come out, you know, the effectiveness of the pump. So what's uh -huh. in the bottle? Is that as effective as when like your, your baby feeds at the breast? Well, it really varies. You know, when the researchers have looked at it, uh, what they've found is that for some women, the pump actually is more effective than the baby. And for some women, the baby's more effective than the pump. I would say, you know, in most cases, you would kind of expect the baby to be more effective. But, you know, if you have a mother who has a really large milk production, imagine that, you know, for example, if she can pump 10 ounces, you know, her baby's not going to be able to, to get 10 ounces because the baby's stomach will fill up more quickly and, you know, the baby will be done. So, you know, in some cases, a pump can actually get out quite a bit more milk than a baby can. Mm, that's so interesting because often we're told, you know, don't pay attention. Like the pump, when you initially start pumping, it's probably less amount than what your baby is getting because... Oh, well, that's, that's actually a separate question. Because, okay. Because uh, I do... The most popular blog post on my site is how much milk should you expect to pump, which I probably I get, you know, thousands of hits a day on that one uh, because that is a very common question moms have. And, and actually, uh, oftentimes women expect the very first time they sit down to pump, you know, they're going to get vast amounts of milk. But, but actually what needs to happen when a mother first starts is she needs to ha try to condition her body to respond to the pump in the same way that it does to her baby. But the, the actual stimulation is very different because, you know, when, you have, when you're holding your baby, your baby's soft, your baby's warm, you love your baby, and all of these things actually contribute to the hormonal release that causes the milk to flow. And when you go, just put a couple pieces of plastic on your breast, it's really not the same thing at all. And so for most moms, you know, you really do have to expect to start small just because your body is not at all conditioned yet to the feel of the pump. Um, the Another side to this, too, is that sometimes a mother will start to pump, you know, when her baby's very tiny, let, let's say within the first week of life, and she'll be distressed to find out she's not getting much milk then either. But what a lot of mothers don't know is that uh, the amount of milk you produce usually will increase, you know, exponentially in that first month. So for example, the very first day of life, uh, typically there's only about maybe an ounce total in the first 24 hours available in the, in the breast. Whereas by the time you reach about five weeks when milk is at its peak, uh, you know, you may have as much as 30 ounces in a 24 hour day that is accessible by the pump. And so when a mother starts in the beginning, she often thinks, well, or like maybe she'll think back to her last baby and she'll think, well, I used to get four ounces when I'm at work. And then she'll start off in that first week and think she's supposed to get four ounces, but she's not even making anywhere close to that at that stage yet. And so it's really, really helpful to understand what are all the variables that affect how much milk you should expect to pump, depending on, you know, your baby's age, the time of day, how long it's been since you nursed or pumped. You know, there's a whole slew of variables that really affect this. And I think what, what happens a lot of times is mothers panic 
and don't realize that what they're getting is actually the right amount, but maybe they're comparing what they're getting with their friend who is who has a milk supply that's way above average or, you know, they're looking at someone who's pumping at a different time, different stage of lactation. And, you know, it, I think the idea behind the post is to let, to help mothers relax and realize, you know, they shouldn't always expect to get the same amount of milk. Mm, that's a great point. And also because your baby's stomach at one day is way different than right, the size of your baby's stomach in a month. Yeah, your baby's needs for milk are much less in the beginning than they will be later. So I'll send you uh, the link to that uh, blog post as well. As I say, that's one that a lot of moms uh, share. Lovely, lovely. I'm, I'm happy to post it along because I find that moms need to understand that, that the pump, and depending on the time of day, right, that they pump right, also, exactly. they'll get different milk. That's so, right. Is it during the morning they'll get more? Uh, in most cases, yes. And that's because during the night, typically babies aren't nursing as frequently as they do during the day. So the milk tends to accumulate. So yes, mothers do. Like usually when, when a mother asks, well, when should I pump to store if I'm not missing feedings? A good time is usually about a half an hour or an hour after the, the first mo morning feeding that they're up for the day. And if they're average, they'll get about half a feeding at that pumping. Oh, very good. I want to go deeper into that. But first, we're going to take a quick break. And yeah, when we come back, we'll get into the details for building a stash. Did you know that even though most expectant moms plan to breastfeed, the majority aren't really adequately prepared to get off to a good start? That is why world-renowned breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher have created their fabulous quick start video that gives you everything you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Best of all, it's free. How awesome is that? Through their quick start video, you'll learn a simple technique that prevents nipple pain. You'll also find about the simplest way to help a newborn latch, as well as the best way to produce enough milk for your baby. These things will set you well on your way to a blissful breastfeeding relationship. And did I mention that it's free? Go watch the quick start video to natural breastfeeding at naturalbreastfeeding.com. And we are back. And I'm so happy to be talking to Nancy Moorbacher about pumping. So Nancy... About considering that, that, you know, a mom wants to build her stash and say it's a stash for, I guess we can split it up, the stash, whether it's just to go out once in a while or a stash because they have to go back to work. Um, let's start with going back to work first. What, okay. When should she start or is it ever too early to pump? How... I, I believe that it there sometimes it, it can be too early to pump. What what I see happening a lot, which makes me sad, is I see a lot of moms who are so anxious about going back to work that they start pumping a lot when their babies are really really tiny, uh, e even though they may not be going back to work for quite some time. Now, if a mother is going back to work soon after her baby's born, you know that's a different story. But a lot of times. Uh, let's say a mom's not going back. Let, let's just use it as an example. She's going back at three months um, and she will start pumping right from the get go. But the, the problem with that, there's there's two problems. One is that, as I mentioned previously, uh, she's not going to get a lot of milk in the beginning. Her her return on investment is going to be very low when she starts pumping like within the first week, let's say. Uh, but the second part of it is, you know, for a mom who's going back to work, you know, this time, this time during her maternity leave when she's home with her baby is a unique opportunity for her to really get in sync with her baby and focus on her baby and have that special time together. And so when a mom spends a lot of time during her maternity leave pumping like crazy, it takes the focus away from that. Um, and so she, she doesn't, I don't think she enjoys her time with her baby as much as if she were strictly breastfeeding during the first few weeks. Uh, so that that's one downside. The, the second downside to pumping early and pumping intensively is that during the first two weeks, especially after birth, a mother's body is really primed and ready to make milk. It's unusually sensitive to every kind of stimulation. So that's why when a mother is pumping for a baby in the NICU, uh, we do encourage her to get up to full production as soon as possible because she's going to be able to do, to do it with less effort. But for a mother who's, who's not 
uh, doing that. For a mother, for example, who has a baby who's healthy and full term at home, what that can do is it can actually uh, cause her to generate a double or even triple milk production, which it sounds good on paper, but there are some really serious downsides to having a, a high oversupply uh, when you have a newborn. One of them is your baby oftentimes uh, struggles with a very, very fast milk flow. It can be ver very challenging for your baby to manage breastfeeding when you're producing so much milk. Um, and the second thing for the mother is it puts her at risk for uh, what's called mastitis, which is a breast inflammation that can actually lead to fever and you know flu-like symptoms and that sort of thing. When a, when a mother's breast stays full uh, for a, a long period of time, then uh, she's at risk for that. And if, if she's producing more milk than her baby can possibly take, then she's going to have to keep up this high level of pumping just to keep herself comfortable. So it can put a mother on this, uh, it's almost like a hamster wheel where she's like, she can't get away from pumping because otherwise she gets too uncomfortably full. And now, you know, her focus becomes more on the pumping, you know, and less on her baby. So it's, you know, there really are downsides to doing too much pumping in the beginning. Mm. So if a mom's going back to work, say, like you said, or in a month or in six weeks, yes. um, what is a good time for her to start building that stash and start pumping? Well, I usually suggest about three to four weeks before she goes back to work that she pump once in the morning, as I say, about half an hour, an hour after the first morning nursing and store that milk. So if she gets a half a feeding, then what that's going to mean, let's say she starts four weeks before she goes back to work, she'll have 14 feedings stored uh, for her first day back. So she's going to need enough for her first day back. And then a little bit of an emergency stash in case, for example, for she she spills all the milk that she pumps at one sitting or she accidentally leaves it in the car and forgets to put it in the refrigerator or, you know, things like that. But for the most part, moms who are going back to work are going to be able to pump at work what their baby needs for the next day. So she doesn't need to have a gigantic store, store of milk. Um, she just needs, you know, like I said, having 14 feedings, that should be plenty for most moms who are starting back. Mm, and that, yeah, that was one of my questions of how to coordinate the breastfeeding with the pumping so uh -huh. that you're not affecting, so that it's, you're, you're doing the best possible situation. Right. And if she, if she pumps a half an hour to an hour after the first morning feeding, it shouldn't have any effect on the next feeding at all. So, so that's really the best of both worlds. So you're saying, and, and should you, I think you said pump twice. Did, no, I said pump once a day. Just once a day. Okay. Just once a day and store that. Yes. Fabulous. Um, and then anything that they should be on the lookout about their milk supply during that period that we had didn't cover just now? Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of moms that I talk to are very confused about milk production in general. Um, what I think the most important thing to know about milk production is that if your baby's gaining weight well, that means you have an excellent milk production. So gaining weight well in the first three months means gaining about an ounce a day. That, that's what we use as the criterion. And so a lot of times moms will think that other factors are an indicator of their milk production. Like they'll think if their baby wants to feed very often in the evening, for example, that's a sign that their milk production is low. That is not true. Most, most breastfeeding babies do what we call cluster feed. And that means there'll be times of the day that they will bunch their feedings together and other times that they might go longer. So your baby's feeding pattern is not an indicator of your milk production. Uh, the fact that you have your baby has a fussy period also is not an indicator of milk production. Most babies do. Uh, from about two weeks uh, until about uh, 12 weeks or so, many babies do have fussy periods throughout the day. And again, that's not a, an indicator of milk production. Uh, some moms think that how much milk they can pump indicates their milk production, but not necessarily. As, as we said, the, uh, the amount of milk you pump is dependent on many variables and, and you know, the milk production is prob it's probably not going to be a major factor. Uh, so it really is strictly about how is your baby doing. And if your baby is thriving and gaining weight well, then you are, can be 100% certain that your milk production is good. Mm. What about, okay, so that was the stash for moms that are going back to work. And okay. I think moms that are wanting to have a stash for going out from time to time can uh -huh. like take those recommendations and and 
adapt them to their needs because they're scaling sure. down, right? Yes, what yes. about if you're having a situation where your baby can't breastfeed for any reasons of being a preemie or, or having some sort of separation or even uh-huh. a hunger strike? What is the best way to support breastfeeding in that case in terms of pumping? When you say, you mean a nursing strike? When you said a hunger strike? Yes, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, all <laughs> no, right. I just wanted to make sure we were, we yes. were talking about the same thing. Um, when, when a mother is pumping only, then there's there are things to know about that. So for I mentioned about the mothers who were pumping using the hands-on techniques when they were pumping for babies in the NICU. If for, like, I'll give you an example of a baby who may have trouble breastfeeding at all, and that would be a baby with a cleft palate. Uh, so let's say you, you're a mother of a baby with a cleft palate, and your baby really can't generate any suction in their mouth, and it's, not, it's, it's very unlikely that your baby is going to be able to breastfeed effectively. Uh, in that case, you would follow the same recommendations as a mother who was pumping for a baby in the NICU, and that would be you want to pump eight or more times a day, uh, especially during those first two weeks, and use the hands-on pumping techniques that I talked about. Uh, you want to get your milk production up to around 30 ounces a day. I, for mothers who are strictly pumping, I usually say somewhere between 30 and 35 ounces a day. Once you get up to that level, then you can cut back to a, a maintenance level of pumping. So 8 to 10 pumps a day using the hands-on techniques is what I call an increase level. You know, anytime you wanted to increase your milk production, you could bring it back up to that level. Or if you were also breastfeeding, it would be breastfeeds plus pumps. Uh, For most moms, that's going to cause milk production to increase. But you actually need to pump less to maintain your production than you do uh, to increase it. And so, for example, for the vast majority of mothers, you can cut back to, like, let's say, seven pumps a day. And you would be able to keep your production steady over the long term. Uh, There are some moms who can pump six times a day and do that. That all depends on a variable that's called breast storage capacity. And that's how much milk uh, your breasts hold at their fullest time of the day. And mothers have different breast storage capacities. And the the larger your breast storage capacity is, then that means you may be able to cut back a little bit more and pump fewer times and still maintain your production. But that that's a variable that does differ among moms. And you brought up an excellent point that I wanted to ask you about is what about pumping to increase your milk supply? Uh-huh. How, what's the effectiveness of that and how do you do it? I think you, you kind of just explained it to us, but can you go deeper into that? Sure. So if a mother has, uh, is breastfeeding, but let's say something has gone wrong. Let's say, for example, she followed the Someone gave her some advice to put her baby on a feeding schedule. And so she did that instead of letting her baby, uh, you know, nursing whenever the baby was showing feeding cues. Sometimes that can lead to a low milk production. And so let's say you're a mom in that situation. You realize, oh, my gosh, you know, my production's low and I need to increase it. What do I do? Well, the first thing you would do would be to breastfeed a lot more often. Uh, Again, you want to make sure the number of total milk removals, that would be breastfeeds plus pumps, you know, is in the 8 to 10 range or even more. The, the more times a day, actually, you remove the milk from your breast and the more fully you remove it, you know, using hands-on pumping techniques or, or moving baby back and forth from breast to breast multiple times, then the more quickly you'll see an increase because really that's how the body works. You know, mothers actually uh, can produce enough milk for twins, triplets, quadruplets, and we even have a recorded case of a mother who produced enough milk for quintuplets. Uh, but the you have to know how to speak your body's language. You need to be able to tell your body how much milk to make. And, and the language that your body understands is the language of milk removals. How many times a day you remove the milk and how well you remove it. So the more times you do it and the more fully you remove the milk, then that t- gives your body the signal to speed up milk production. So in other words, if a mother was breastfeeding, uh, like if the baby was cooperative, if the baby was an effective feeder, she could easily bring up her milk production by just strictly breastfeeding. She wouldn't have to necessarily pump, uh, but sometimes moms want to speed it up even more, and so they'll add pumpings in during the day. But the idea is you want to get at least, uh, let's say, eight, nine, ten uh, milk removals a day, and the more more you have, as I say, the more of, of an effect you have on your milk production, the faster you see an increase. Mm-hmm. 
And I really love this concept of, you know, speaking to your body and having that tuning in, just like you're tuning to into your baby and to his or her needs, tuning into what right. your body's telling you and, and, and right. needing and how sleeping more is going to probably help you with milk production and not being so tired or eating better well, or actually, drinking actually more. Well, actually not. Sleeping no? more does not help milk production. Now, there's things that mothers think affects milk production that, don't, that doesn't. Like everyone thinks drinking more fluids will increase your milk production, but it's not true. Uh, everyone thinks that, that eating a better diet will help. That's not true either. And neither is rest. It's really all about how many times a day you remove the milk and how well you remove it. And, and it, so, it, but the thing about sleeping is you don't have to do it that when you, when you try to schedule in all these pumpings, you don't have to do it at regular intervals because with a breastfeeding baby, they normally don't feed at regular intervals. So, so in other words, for a mom who's doing intensive pumping, Probably she's going to want to pump at least once during the night, but she does not have to pump intensively during the night. She can pump every hour during her waking hours instead. So her body doesn't really care, you know, what the intervals are in between. That doesn't really matter. It's the total number of milk removal. So that's a really important point. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that point. And I think I meant in terms of not, not getting more sleep in general, just so because breastfeeding is connected to oxytocin, right? So being less stressed would improve milk production. No, actually that doesn't either. What it does, <laughs> what it does when, when you're stressed, that can block your milk ejection. That we know. Uh, when you ha- release adrenaline into your system, that blocks uh, milk ejection. But that's only temporary. So, for example, if like if you sit down at work and you just had this really stressful meeting and you sit down to pump, you may find it's very difficult to get milk ejections and to pump much milk. But if you can, you know, sort of take a deep breath and, and give yourself a little chance to relax, it will immediately come back. So being stressed does not decrease milk production, but it can delay your milk ejection. Got it. So it's not a big picture issue. Right. It's a it's an immediate. Yeah, it's a very it's a very temporary effect. And since you mentioned the pumping at work, um, are there any tips to make it more effective and how often it should be done? Well, the one thing I, I have a book that I've written called Working and Breastfeeding Made Simple, uh, in which I've I've shared all of the the wisdom that I've accumulated over the years of talking to working moms. And one of the things that really surprised me as I started talking to more and more mothers is that oftentimes People are over-focused on what they're doing at work. But what's the most important thing I just mentioned about when it comes to pumping? What matters is the daily total. Well, the same thing is true at work. And so what happens a lot of times when mothers go back to work is that they keep their pumping routines the same at work. But at home, they start to cut back on nursing. And that causes them to see a slowdown in their milk production. So, So there's something that I call the magic number. And in, on my website, I'll send you a link to, to that post as well. Yes, please. Um, this, is a, this is a concept that a lot of working moms find very helpful. They need to keep an eye on their 24-hour total number of milk removals, and that includes breastfeeds and pumps. So, for example, uh, sometimes people hear that as babies get older, they don't need to feed as much, and so they'll start cutting down on breastfeedings at home. But that actually is a bottle feeding norm. That is not a breastfeeding norm. And when they start doing that, then they will see a reduction in their milk production. So it's it's very, very important to keep an eye on the, the magic number is what what I referred to earlier as the maintenance level of milk removals. It's the number of milk removals needed in a 24-hour day to keep your milk production steady. And so for a mother who, for example, has as her goal that she wants to to keep to breastfeed for a year, even though she's going back to work, understanding her magic number and being able to stick with that uh, is going to be key to keeping up her milk production long term. But like I say, it's not as much about what she does at work. You know, certainly using the hands-on pumping techniques, you know, and fitting in some pumpings at work will probably be important for most moms. But what's even more important is that she keep up the daily total during her 24-hour day. And for some moms, that might mean you know, encouraging more breastfeedings when they're home, because it's actually much easier for most moms to breastfeed more at home than it is to to do lots of pumpings at work. Right. And the sort of time it to like breastfeed right before leaving for work and right. breastfeed right when you get back. Right. For example, one mom I talked to on the phone, um, she, she went back to work. She called me when she'd been back at work for about two weeks. And she said, um, 
she basically told me her baby was taking twice as much milk when she was at work as we would expect based on the number of hours they were apart. And she wanted to know what she could do to boost her pumping. And so I talked to her a little bit about what her daily routine was. And what she was doing, actually, was that when she, her baby, when she dropped her baby off at the caregiver, she left, like, this really large bottle of expressed milk, and the baby got it right away. And the baby also got a similar large bottle just before she picked the baby up at, at night because she wanted to make sure the baby was, was full on the ride home. And I said to her, you, you, all you have to do to make this manageable is you need to, instead of giving that big bottle, sit down and breastfeed when you drop your baby off and tell the caregiver, you know, just give a tiny amount of milk, whatever will keep the baby happy until you get there and then sit down and breastfeed before you leave, uh, leave the caregiver. That actually cut in half the amount of milk that her baby needed during her workday. So sometimes just very simple uh, strategies around the daily routine can make a big difference. And again, in my work, my, my book, Working and Breastfeeding Makes Simple, I talk about all of these different um, tweaks that moms can make that can make a huge difference in their ability to meet their long-term breastfeeding goals. Yeah. And I'll link to the book also on the show notes. And Thank you. Absolutely. And uh and I, again, I can see how it not only makes a difference, but it makes it, it makes her life easier because then Absolutely. that's like all it those... takes the pressure off. Yeah, and and all and the timing of all those pumpings and you know extra pumping sessions and cleaning bottles and doing all of that right. instead of just right. sitting down and spending time with baby. Right. Exactly. So so as I say, for most moms, it's going to be way easier just to encourage more feedings at home because babies need actually one uh, one thing that I didn't mention, which is a really key piece for mothers who are working is that from one month to six months, babies need about the same amount of milk in a, in a 24 hour day. That's really different from babies who are uh, formula fed. Uh, their volume of milk that they take goes up and up and up during those months, but it's not true of babies who are breastfeeding. And in fact, uh, you know, if you understand that, then you understand why, you know, doing more breastfeedings at home you know, cuts actually cuts down on the amount of milk that the baby needs when you're at work, which again takes the pressure off. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Great. Um, Nancy, what about logistics of like storage and transport and how long milk can be out in the open and all those uh -huh. logistical stuff? Um, well, I'll send you the link to my site. I have a I have a page on that as well. Is that that also explains why you see different guidelines in different places, which can be very crazy making for moms. Uh, there are different organizations that have printed different guidelines, and that's partly because uh, some people want the guidelines to to reflect how long it takes for the milk to actually spoil. Whereas other organizations decide, no, we want to shorten the guidelines so that less uh, vitamins and antioxidants are lost and that sort of thing. So it's not, it's not really that they disagree on how long it takes for the milk to spoil. It's just that they use different criteria for setting up their guidelines. But uh, for example, many of the pumps that moms take to work uh, have a cooling compartment. And if you start the day with the cooling elements frozen, the milk's actually good in there for up to 24 hours. So uh, that takes a lot of pressure off moms, you know, in terms of having to have a refrigerator at work. Some moms do have a refrigerator at work, but, you know, even if you just bring a pump con container and you use the cooling elements, that's actually going to be plenty of time to get you from work to home, you know, and put them in the refrigerator. And then, uh, in terms of how long milk can be in the fridge or in the freezer uh -huh. and uh -huh. just those other yeah. logistics of milk storage. Yeah, they uh, well, in the refrigerator, it's good for up to eight days. And then you could at, at any time during that period, you could still put it in the freezer. Uh, the freezer depends on if it's a refrigerator freezer or a deep freeze, because the refrigerator freezer, it's assumed you're opening the door more often. So it's, uh, the milk is good in the refrigerator freezer for three to four months, and it's good in the deep freeze from six to 12 months. Fabulous. And should, oh, should moms pay attention to when, you know, like write down what time of day they, they express that milk? Does uh, that matter? Not, that's not necessary. They can just write the date on it. So I have heard that breast milk at night has more tryptophan to help babies. Is that a myth? I'm not, I'm not saying it's a myth, but there has not really been any research to find out if this really has an effect on baby's sleep or not. Nobody's really looked at that. 
Okay, so that it doesn't, it's not something to worry about if you're giving your baby like daytime breast milk at night. No, a lot of times moms worry about the specifics. Like, you know, if I give a milk that I pumped at three weeks, should I give it to a baby at four months and things like that? But really, those are not things that, that are significant enough differences that you have to be concerned. Fantastic. Nancy, you know so much. <laughs> I am oh, I am you. always in awe. And like, I love that for most of my questions. She's like, well, I have this thing already written and I have this video already. You know, your website is such a trove of knowledge and information that I, I hope people are inspired by listening to this and want to find out more and go and really dig deep and spend hours in, in your in your website and looking at your videos. Well, thank you, Adriana. And and I've I've tried to put everything I know about working in breastfeeding into the the book as well. I mean, it even goes into you know how to pick a bottle and how to introduce it and all that sorts of things. So if a mom is feeling anxious about all of the different aspects of going back to work, I think you know it it is a pretty complete resource. Mm. If they want, if listeners want to check out your website or check out, you know, how to contact you or look at your YouTube video, can you uh-huh. give them those links? Where can they do that? Sure. Sure. Um, my website is nancymorbacher.com. And that's not easy because Morbacher is a little hard to spell. It's got two H's in it. So it's M-O-H-R-B-A-C-H-E-R. So Nancy, spelled the usual way, morbacher.com. Um, and if you, I have a, a blog cloud. And if you go into the pumping and storing section, really all of my articles about pumping and storing are in there. And I have another section for employed mothers that goes into the magic number and some of the other concepts that might be helpful. Uh, as far as working and breastfeeding made simple, um, I do have a section on my website about my books. Uh, so I have books for parents and it's included in there. It, the, all my books are available on Amazon as well. Fantastic. Nancy, thank you so, so much. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Same here, Adriana. Thanks for the good work you do. Mighty Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And if you're pregnant, don't forget to grab my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit at birthful.com slash toolkit. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The title song for this podcast is Vibe Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.